You're listening to audio from the Village Church, a community that's formed by the gospel and sent on God's mission, gathering weekly in the heart of downtown Hamilton, Ohio. For more information about the village or to connect with us, you can find us online at myvillagechurch.com. My name is Michael Graham. I am one of the pastors of the Village Church. Thanks so much for hanging out with me in my attic and with all of us gathered, uh, even though we are, we are scattered today. Um, we are jumping into Exodus, uh, the, the 20th sermon in this series, so there's a ton to get to. Let's get rolling. Uh, road trips are, are the best. I love road trips. In fact, one of the things that I'm missing as we're all under stay-at-home orders and things are closed down is, is being able to get up and go. And, and I love road trips, whether it's, it's a, a week-long destination, family vacation, or, or whatever, or if it's just a, a weekend getaway to the Red River Gorge or whatever. I just love picking up, packing up, and heading out. But, but you and I know that road trips are not always smooth sailing. Uh, think about the classic, you know, kind of iconic movie road trip. There's lots of work. To get there, there's saving and, and prepping and packing and, and you know, an, an early morning departure. Everything's in order. You know, you, you leave the house. You take a big sigh as you, as you just think about all the things. We made it. We're on the road. You know, did we close the garage door? Did we forget Kevin? Um, all the things. And before you even get to the interstate, you, you know it's going to happen. I'm hungry. I have to use the restroom. I forgot my, are we there yet? All the things. Imagine taking a 40 year road trip with, with one or two million of your closest friends and family and, and neighbors and kids and, and all of that. This is the scene we have here in this section of Exodus in chapter 16 and a little 15. Um, that, that's the scene that we have. Who's leading? Uh, Who's responsible for food? Um, where are we going? Uh, I'm thirsty. You're following too close. Uh, you're going too fast. You didn't use your, blink, your, your blinker when you switched lanes. And there's just loads of assumption and lots of things that are unsure. But one thing we can be sure of, and that is complaining is a national pastime. We are so good at complaining and I'm not just talking about kids you know that's not the case but but all of us complain you know students complain about the teacher and the and the, and the teacher complains about the students and, and co-workers complain about the boss and the boss complains about the co-workers and, and citizens complain about the streets uh, in their neighborhood and customers complain about the service but but here's the thing before you apply your judgment to Israel and their complaints uh, and, and hear me they are a bunch of whiners. We're going to look at that today. We're going to look at that next week. And this continues on. This is the story of Israel, right? They are a bunch of whiners despite what God has done for them. But before we cast judgment, I mean, I just want to encourage us to, to take a look around uh, outside of us and inside of us. Read the culture around you. Everyone is an expert and, and, and very few of those experts bear any real responsibility to lead anything, let alone the masses. And, and even at that, the diversity of which the masses bring. So, so leadership 
is lose-lose, okay? Parenting leadership, lose-lose. You, you do what's right, uh, you get criticized for it. Um, presidential leadership, leading a nation, right? This isn't a, a political statement, but can you imagine leading a, a divided nation, how difficult that would be? You lose no matter what you say, no matter what you don't say. Pastoral leadership, man, you guys are kind and gracious, and I love that, but, but as we as elders consider what it looks like transitioning out of, out of a pandemic, uh, and, and we begin to gather again uh, as the church, uh, understanding that there is a, a polarized culture outside of us, that, that everyone is an expert, and, and, and that in much of that on the, on the polar sides of things, that there is, there's lose-lose. In fact, I, I chatted with a pastor friend of mine this week, and, and they shot some stuff out about kind of reopening and what the, the gatherings would look like. And, and he, he shoots me a couple screenshots, and basically it says, uh, one person says, well, you know, you're not doing enough, so my family will not be attending. And literally, the same day, another family sends something out, you, you're doing too much, and my family will not be attending. Now, now I say that just to demonstrate how difficult leading is, and, and I, want, I want you to know this, that this is a non-responsive word of encouragement here. Um, the expectation that, that we have for us who are the Village Church, and, and if you're listening to this and you're outside of the Village Church, man, I'm super glad that you're hanging out with us, but just for a moment, those who are part of the Village, here's what we won't do. Now, as, as you scroll your social media feed, and, and when we come back together as the church, whenever that may be, we won't villainize, and we won't patronize, uh, we won't dismiss, we won't belittle, we won't assign value based on uh, political preference, or, or whether or not you wear a mask, or, or any of those things, but what we will do, we will seek unity, even amidst the diversity within us and around us. And so I don't care what you think of the president of the United States or, or the governor or, or your local mayor, but I do care whether or not we as the village church put uh, love on display no matter what. Uh, and, and I do care if, if you aim to fracture unity. So with all that in mind, and considering the complaints that, that, that stir within us and that stir around us, why do we complain? Well, well, I think we complain because we don't trust. Because if we trusted, we would, we would let it go. So we complain because we don't trust. And the difference here in this text compared to, you know, your worst nightmare road trip is that, that uh, your Uncle Steve isn't leading the caravan, uh, but God himself is. And, and, and sure, he's using his servant Moses, and he's using uh, uh, Aaron and, and others, but God himself is, is leading the caravan, the exodus, out of Egypt to the land he has promised. He has promised to take ownership and leadership and care and, and lead in care and lead in provision. So God is leading his people from, from terrible generational slavery and captivity to a land that, that is flowing with life so much as, as it is dependent upon him who is the giver and the author 
of life. And God's demand is this, trust me. That's God's demand over and over again throughout all of the scriptures for all time. It's, it's trust me. And if you trust me, follow me. And, and if you do, I will lead you in safety and I will provide for you wherever I lead you. God is a generous provider, even in the face of complaint and demand. Or, or maybe another way of, of saying this would be, no matter how much God gives, we want more. And no matter how much we complain, what we see here is that, that God gives more. So, so this is a, a huge focal passage. Do your homework. Read this stuff. But, but uh, this is kind of what's going on. So, so we're going to spend a little time uh, looking at the text itself. And then we'll, we'll tease out with kind of three points of application towards the back end. So this is Exodus the 15, 22 through all of 16. And we find kind of uh, in this chunk two of three in a series of, of trials and tests for the people of God um, to demonstrate their faithfulness and, and for God to demonstrate his faithfulness. At the end of 15, we see this, this thing as they're journeying along. They come to a place, they're thirsty, they find a watering hole, and, and it has bitter water in it. And so they name this place uh, the place of, of bitterness. Um, they, they, the people grumble against Moses, and, and what they say is, is what are we going to drink? Right? And so there's this contentious um, dependence upon Moses and, and what now, wise guy? Now that you have us here, what are you going to do with this, right? Um, what shall we drink? And so Moses, he, he turns and he, he cries to God. And God tells him, it's just this, uh, a little demonstration of, of the unlikely ways in which God presents his provision. He says, ah, uh, throw a log into this salty water. And uh, I'm sorry, throw a log into this bitter water. And, and when you do that, the water will become sweet. And, and that's exactly what he does. Um, because God's people needed something else to know that God was for them, right? So, so that's what happens. And, and so God gives this kind of conditional response. He says, if you seek and follow, if you listen and obey, I'll protect you. And in this, this relationship that we have will, will be nothing like what you saw in Egypt, all right? So they move on. And now we're in chapter 16, uh, verse 1. And, and uh, let me read this. I'm just going to read the first couple verses. They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. And on the 15th day of the second month, after they had departed from the land, so they're out about you know, 45 days out of Egypt, and the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. See, I read this and I think, man, just in the last chapter, the whole congregation was, was singing this song of praise and, and thanks be to God who rescues them. And so I think, well, well, maybe there were just a few, but as Moses tells us, he says, everyone is complaining. Uh, and so they're, they're uh, complaining and this is what they say. The whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat 
by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. So it's, it's a common thing. They're on a road trip and they're saying, we're hungry. Uh, but, but things seem a little more contentious than that. And so there's just a few things we can pull out of this. The, the first thing, and these aren't big points, the first thing is, is they're literally going to kill Moses. There's a, a million plus hangry people. And, and Moses has been the one that has, has been the conduit at which God has brought his blessing all the way up to this point. And so these people, sinful as they are, they, they, they begin to make a terrible decision. They are literally threatening to kill Moses. And if you've been following, that seems like a terrible idea. The second thing is, is that we see is they remember Egypt with a particular fondness that didn't seem to be there when they were brick bakers in the land of Egypt. When, when they were under the tyrant Pharaoh's thumb, more bricks, more production, more productivity. Oh yeah, you, you want to go worship your God? How about you continue to make those bricks without straw now, right? Figure it out. But, but isn't that what, what we do? We complain about uh, yesterday, we complain about today, and today we complain about yesterday, and, and today we complain about tomorrow, and tomorrow we complain about today. They look back in, into the time of their slavery in Egypt under Pharaoh, and it's as if they, they remember themselves kicked back, surrounded by the meat pots. I mean, what an embellishment that must have been. Surrounded by the meat pots. And, and, and they say we had bread to the full. As if it were the good old days. And so they say, Moses, what have you brought us out here to kill us with, with starvation? And if we might, man, to just take a moment for Moses. I, I feel for this guy. He, he leads humbly and insecurely. He stumbles in faithfulness. And, and, and he's a middleman between what God, this crazy, insane idea that God is rescuing them from. And, and he, can't, he can't win with the masses. And, and then we read on, picking up in verse 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread. Right? So, so there's no prayer. There's no, it's, it's just God hearing them. And he tells Moses, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out. And they'll gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. And on the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord because he has heard you're grumbling against the Lord. For are we that you grumble? I'm sorry. For what are we that you grumble against us? And then Moses says, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and, and morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that your grumble is against Him. What are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. God hears and God responds. He is a good dad. He, he has demonstrated that. He isn't 
promising to be the wind in every sail wherever you decide to sail, but he will blow wind where he calls his people. Remember, he isn't, he isn't just bringing them from someplace, but he's bringing them to a better place, the land of which he has promised. He isn't blind to the fact that his people who, who he rescued are being delivered according to his promise and according to his plan. And he isn't blind to the fact that they're hungry. So, so he says, that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. And what we see here is what we see from cover to cover. It is that, that our relationship with God is always about trust. It is always a matter of faith alone. That is the foundation of our relationship with God. And then we see here this truth bomb from Moses right in the middle. And it, and it should just cut us. He speaks to his countrymen and he speaks to his brothers and sisters in Christ by faith alone today. When he speaks to the, the nature of complaining hearts. This is what he says. He says, God provides in the evening, in the morning. And when you grumble, it isn't against us. Who am I that you would grumble against me? He, he's basically saying, I can't produce food. Who am I? Your complaints are against the Lord. Who is it who holds the world in his hands? Who is it who, who possesses all that is? Who is it who, who gives and takes away? It is the Lord. And so Moses calls it like it is. When you complain about your lot, uh, it isn't against your parents. It isn't against the government. It, uh, it isn't against your neighbor. It isn't helpful. But, but even more, it is against the Lord. Your complaints are against the Lord, our provider. And so that doesn't dismiss basic realities. You may have a terrible boss, right? Uh, and, and you may make terrible decisions that, you, that get you into terrible places. But, but when you are in a situation because of the Lord who has brought you there for his purpose and you complain about it, it isn't against humans, but, but the one who holds all things, including the details of your life in his hands. So then as, as this chapter un, unfolds a little further, and in verse 9, kind of through 15, there's this other chunk. And we see, uh, come near before me, for, for the Lord has heard your grumbling. And he says, the, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud to assure them that God was with them. And, and he says, the Lord says, I have heard, and by twilight you will have meat, and in the morning you'll be filled with, with bread. You shall know that I am the Lord your God. So he says, you're going to have quail in the evening. And, and as far as I can tell, he says, you're going to have uh, frosted flakes in the morning. And so they say, they say what? What is it? What is this stuff that we see here? And Moses says, It is the bread the Lord gave you from heaven. There are tons of connections to complaint 
and the New Testament. There are tons of connections to bread and the New Testament, and, and none more tightly connected than Jesus as the provision for our fullness and life. In John 6, towards the end, in, in verse 44 and following, he says, So the Jews grumbled at him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. This is Jesus saying, I am the bread of life. And even in that, we see uh, God's people, the Jews, grumble against Jesus. And they said, is not Jesus the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? They're saying, is he not just a mere man? How is it that he can make this outrageous claim? And Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. Jesus lays for us breadcrumbs pointing back to him as revealed in the mighty works of Old Testament provision. He is pointing us back to, to this chapter in this context concept just as God provided in the desert to provide bread from heaven to give life, so am I. I am the bread of life. So we must get the connections that, that God reveals and we must understand that, that all of the promises of God find their yes in Him. So with all of this mind as a, uh, in mind as a setup and as the chapter continues to unfold, we are, we are brought in to grow along with Israel. And so kind of three observations that we can make that we get to, one, work hard to gather enough. So we pick up in verse 16. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each of you, as much as he can. You shall each take an, an omer according to the number of the persons. That, so he's like a, a measuring cup according to the number of persons that each of you has in his tent, and the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. But when they measured it, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. Now look, there's a ton of stuff about work, even in that, that, that God makes space for those that desire more and that want to work more, to, to have more. And so he says, I mean, gather as much as you want, and, and the, that who wants a ton, have your full, and that who want a little, have your full. There's this connection that we see in Acts chapter 2 in the New Testament. And this is after Jesus died and, and, uh, and ascended into heaven. We see the early church gathering together and we see this picture of beauty in the end of Acts chapter 2. The church gathers its resources together and it puts generosity on display by contributing as each had need. And it says that, that none lacked and, and everyone gave uh, and, and, and everyone uh, had their full. And so it, it, wasn't, it wasn't communism that's fueled by demand. It was spirit-fueled communalism. There was a common unity among them 
where each was esteeming the other more than himself. That notion, the call for generosity, is a reflection of of God's history and a reflection of God's provision uh, and generosity for his people. God is a generous provider, even in the face of complaint and demand. But, but that didn't come without human effort. There's so much confusion, and, and rightly so. Like, how do we apply or interpret this? There's a ton of difficulty when we consider kind of uh, the idea of, of handout provision, and, and we see entitlement, and, and where's mine? Uh, from the beginning, God empowers His people, and He provides all that we need to thrive. But Israel had to leave the tent. As far as I can tell when I read this, uh, in the evening, the quail, they didn't just run in the tent and, and pluck out their own feathers and, and jump into the air fryer. Right? That, that's not what we see here. Uh, the early church, they gathered their resources. They distributed as, as others had need, but those resources came from, from where? from a hard day's work. So now's when the preacher says, look, uh, money won't just show up in your bank account. And, and most of the time, that would be true, right? Times are a little different in this exact moment, but, but even that money that might just miraculously or, or through the provision of a, a government agency, that's not going to sustain us That's not how God has built community. That's not how how God has built you or wired you that we might sit back and receive, but but he calls us to work. So we get to connect the world we live in to these principles. God gives good gifts. He gives wisdom. And and we too get to work hard to gather enough. And we see this from the foundation of, of human existence that God put Adam in the garden to, to do what? To sit back? No. He put him in the garden to work it and to keep it. And he did that in chapter 2. Not in chapter 3 where sin comes in and wrecks everything. Certainly work changes with, with the curse that man will sweat by the brow and, and he will fight against the dust and all those things. But God was put into the garden to work it and to keep it. He had responsibility to govern creation, to organize, to to use the gifts that God had given him, to to oversee it, to farm it, and to till it in the joy of God's presence and and God's provision so that creation might flourish and fruitfully multiply the glory of God. We still get to work hard to gather enough, each according to his own, for the glory of God. The second thing here is we get to work hard to trust God. Let's pick up in in 19. And Moses said to them, Let no one leave any of it over till the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms, and it stank. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning they gathered it, and each had as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. There is this iconic scene, uh, this iconic line 
in the movie Aladdin, and I think it's in both of them, the, the 92 version and the newer one, but it's, it's the princess is impostering as a peasant because of the pressure and the demand of, of life in the palace, and, and, um, and then you have Aladdin who is, uh, as they call him in the song, a street rat. He is a peasant. He's a scrapper. He, he steals to get by, and, 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 uh, but, but he knows how to navigate the streets. He knows how things work. And, and then in this moment, they're in like a, a second-story loft, and some of the, the villain Jafar's henchmen, they come, and they capture Aladdin, uh, or they try to capture Aladdin, and, and he says this line to Jasmine. And it comes up again later on. He says, do you trust me? And, and she looks up and she says, what? And he says, do you trust me? And she says, yeah. And he says, then, then jump. And they just jump kind of into this big hole of darkness and they bounce around and, and, um, and you know, they, they go on. The beautiful undercurrent to the relationship is that, that she doesn't really trust anyone. Jasmine uh, doesn't trust anyone. That's why she's playing dress up in the market. And yet, after meeting Aladdin, you know, 10 seconds ago, she's willing to jump with him. Trust is, trust is a funny thing. And, and the older I get, and perhaps the older we get, um, the more calloused we can become, the less trusting we can become, the more difficult trust becomes. Because because all of creation, that, that's um, expectations and, and relationships and people, all of it is a fractured version of God's design. There is deceit and there is letdown and there is disillusionment and, and all sorts of opportunity to just to wince and to run rather than to trust and to jump. But even so, to proceed with caution, that's not a bad thing. Uh, part of the maturing that, that age brings is a, a cautious wisdom. And knowing about life and, and ourselves, it enables us to put our trust in safe places and in safe people. What I want us to know is what screams from the pages of this text. God is a worthy provider. He is trustworthy and He is good. He is faithful and true for us. He is for us and He is for His glory. And we get to work hard to trust Him. And, and from my vantage point, we get to what we get to do to position ourselves for that work is, is we get to know Him. Not just knowing about Him, not just hearing what others say about Him, but we get to know Him. We get to, as, as Moses says, diligently listen to His voice. We get to do that which is right in His eyes, to give ear to and to keep His commandments. Just like Israel wasn't merely hearing God, but but they were to follow where he led. And just like God provided sweet water and bread in the desert, he provides himself as the bread of life 
that we might eat and that we might be full, satisfied in the deserts of this life and, and also in the, in the fertile valleys. Or, or as Paul says, um, essentially Christ is the essence. He is he's the key to unlocking um, contentment in both plenty and in want. Or, or we see in, in Matthew, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that flows from the mouth of God. God is, is showing us that is the point that this is about trust and listening to God more than it is about having a full belly. Or we see in John 6, 35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall never hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And, and here we have hoarders of generosity tucking a little more in their pockets to trust the work of their hands rather than the work of the Lord to provide. Security in our own hands rather than the provision from God's hands. So, so I'd ask this, do you, do you trust God to provide where He leads us? Because if you do, then you will seek You will search Him and you will follow Him where He leads. The last thing is this. Work hard to rest well. This is verse 22. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil and all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside and remember what happened before when they did that is is worms grew in it and it stank. So they laid it aside till the morning as Moses commanded them and it did not stink and there were no worms in it. This is just a picture of God's miraculous provision and what we see is that that any provision is a miracle of God. He holds all provision in his hand. So Moses said, "Eat it today for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find in it the field. 6 days you shall gather it, but on the 7th day, which is Sabbath, there will be none. There is a ton here." We see Moses unpack this in Exodus 20 and beyond when he lays out this command He's laying out for the first time the Sabbath. And and up to this point, we had God resting on the seventh day. And now we see him infusing these principles that God desires for his people, that we might rest in him one day a week, that we might set aside and, and just trust his provision and his productivity and not only our own. This section is is a contrast of kings. It's contrasting Egypt versus the God who listens and cares and leads and disciplines and provides. We see the foundation for Sabbath rest that will be part of the rule of faith and the law and the covenant and the Ten Commandments. And and it's more than a foundation for rest. We see the purpose of, of Sabbath. Sabbath Rest is an opportunity to cultivate dependence 
and to demonstrate dependence. Sabbath rest is an opportunity for God's people to both cultivate dependence within our heart, to remind ourselves what it is that we're trusting in, whose provision that we're trusting in, and it's also an opportunity to demonstrate, to put it on display that our dependence is not on the work of our hands. So we get to cut across the grain of the culture that says more, 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 more work, more productivity, or as Egypt said, more bricks, more bricks, more production. And we get to find space to cultivate in our own hearts rest and to demonstrate to the world around us rest that only comes from the Lord. Jesus tells us that the Sabbath was made for us, not otherwise. He, he says he is the Lord of the Sabbath. And, and don't get me wrong, it seems like they have to work doubly hard on the sixth day, right? So that they might make sure that they prepare a space, a rhythm to rest. And, and time forbids me from going on about this. But if God models and he, and he demonstrates provision with rest, um, and, and, he, he, and he sets up worms as our teacher to challenge our untrusting, self-dependent heart and lives, then perhaps we could turn to him to find our rest and a rest that, that never flees or never fails. We get to, right? We get to because the Sabbath is for us, implement rhythms into our lives that reflect who, who it is that, that actually spins the earth and, and who it is that actually allows the seed to bring forth life and, and who it is that, that allows our gifts to gather enough in whatever context, whatever time we live on the face of this earth. Uh, he is the one who, who allows our hearts to trust and our mind to rest. Look, it's, it's easy to read all of this and to make merely logistical or, or practical or, or temporal connections, a provision of food and, and all these things. But we must remember that this is not just about a road trip. This is not just about the way that you handle your personal finance or, or the way that you hoard or, or live generously. It's not just about um, what the directions are or, or when we need refills of gas or when we use the restroom or, or where we get our food. But, but this is a, a picture and a story of salvation. So when we read that Christ is the bread of life, it, it means that he satisfies us in a way that none of those things ever could or ever will. It means that he is enough to get us where we need to go. God's work alone. So we need to listen, to trust, to follow. And when we do, then we get to put that truth on display in the way that we deal with our stuff and our work and our money and, and, and all the minutes that you think are ours and, and in the laying down of productivity with regularity um, long enough to remember, to remind our own hearts that there is one God and, and he's not us and to declare to those around us, to the, to the busy culture around us that there is one God and he's not us. When we do that, then our complaints 
and our demands. They melt like the morning manna and, and turn to remembering the delight our God has for us in saving us and, and that we too can have in Him alone. God is a generous provider even in the face of complaint and demand. Would you continue to reflect, repent, and respond with, with all of us today? See you next week.